As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Champions League final, World Cup, semi-final. it's, It's incredible in and of itself. But you factor in, like, the first 12 years of the story. And it's, it is a miracle. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the pre-season summer special of A View From The Lane. Sounds like we're doing it from the end of a pier, doesn't it? We are the award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast. Never forget that. From The Athletic, joining me, your host, Danny Kelly, are The Athletic's James Moore, and live from Perth, Australia, if you don't mind, our Spurs correspondent, Charlie Eccleshare. Welcome one, welcome all. Let's start with you, Charlie. Um, you spent the last couple of weeks at Wimbledon. Now you're swanning around the world in Australia. It's a tough life. It is hard, but um, someone's got to do it. So delighted to be joining you from, from Perth. We should just highlight the Freudian slip, by the way, that before we started recording, Charlie referred to this as his holiday. That, that is technically true, I, but it was very much because the language I was using, I was talking about how many books I'd packed, and that's a very, oh, this is how many books I've packed for this holiday. And obviously, I mean... You really could have said. But That's how much I love my job. That's how much I love covering Spurs and doing this podcast. Yeah. We should we should thank we should thank Charlie. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> couldn't get in, couldn't get in touch with him during Wimbledon. Um, behind, yeah, as I say, piles of strawberries and what I believe is called pims. But he is up very late doing this podcast now. Welcome to him and welcome to you, James. Much technological advance on the podcast. I've got a new computer, um, and uh, James has learned how to blur the background um, of his uh, of his podcast. Um, I know. Stop texting in immediately saying, why doesn't he blur the foreground? That really is very, very unkind. I'm not having that. So David in Telford, uh, Frank in North London, and Teresa in Dublin. Do not be saying that straight away. That really is outrageous. Perisic in. Good header, good goal. And look who it is. Destiny Adogi. In his first run out in a Spurs shirt. Those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast will know um, that I always say I want Spurs to set out on the, turn, on the front foot to try and win 3-2, even though that means risking losing 3-2. Even as I was saying the words this afternoon, somebody said, you do realise they've just lost 3-2. 
And first of all, let's get your thoughts on the team selection, which I think, Charlie, there were two entirely different teams in, in, in the course of the game, yeah? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they switched the whole starting eleven at half-time. Um, I was curious to see, yeah, if there were any sort of stories about players being hooked at half-time, but uh, yeah, it wasn't those kind of substitutions. Kane up front and captain. Yeah. Um, and just give us just give us a feeling for the, what was the eleven that started. So it was the new goalkeeper, Vicario, in goal. Then Regulon, mm-hmm. remember him? Uh, he popped up yes. at left-back. Then it was Tanganga and Romero as the centre-backs. Pedro Porro right back. And then Basuma kind of anchoring the midfield with Skip and Madison just in front of him. Sometimes Skip would drop in and play with Basuma. And then the front three of Solomon off the left, Kudusevsky off the right, and Kane up top. Yeah, and they did change the whole team at halftime. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, which, okay. which was always the plan. And they they played yesterday in the open training session at the Wacker. Um, they played with... Your sort of- life, you just moved from one great place <laughs> to another. I mean, James is locked in a blurred out cupboard there in London. Well, you just swan from one brilliant place to another. It's sickening, isn't it, James? It is, it is incredible that he's getting away with it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wimbledon, Hyde Park. No, no. For my, one, my one day off at Wimbledon was Bruce at Hyde Park, then back to Wimbledon, yeah. then to the Wacker, to the Optus Stadium, and now here, talking to you both. Oh, here, here's a question for you. Which lasted longer, the men's singles final or Bruce Springsteen's concert? The men's singles final by quite some way because Bruce is oh. now... They're now three hours pretty much... Uh, uh, time. Exactly. I've seen Lightweight. him do. I've seen him do four hours. So it does feel yeah. um, compared to that quite quick fire. And the Wimbledon men's final was uh, close to five hours. James, given that we know that the golden rule here is pretty simple, isn't it? That um, nothing that happens in a pre-season game makes any sense at all when this, once the competitive football starts. On the other hand, it's a time of great change at Tottenham. What did you make in? I, mean, I can't even pressure by saying did you see the game. What did you make in the selection? I did see the game. One good man um, because I I didn't believe me. Oh, I, I had a great time watching it online. I had sort of five to ten minutes of anguish during which Spurs conceded two very sloppy goals from set pieces or second phases from set pieces, mm-hmm. uh, and those were obviously the two goals in the first half. But not, other than that, I was I was pretty happy with the way Spurs played. More than pretty happy actually. It kind of felt like the most engaged I'd been in a Spurs game for six, seven months. I mean, I, I, you know, factoring in the fact it's only a friendly, it doesn't matter. Although factor yeah. back in the fact it's West Ham and you don't want to lose that game. I, you know, I, I enjoyed watching the game. I enjoyed the way Spurs approached it. I, we know they have problems at centre-back and we pray that they will actually be resolved before uh, the start of the season. I'm, Sort of feels like a bit of an oversight for me to it not, for it not to have been at least partially resolved. Uh, oh, before it's, it's they driving me sort of, nuts. I mean, I think, it's driving me mad. I think that's crazy. But uh, you know the, the, the way the players showed for the ball, the movement of the ball was so much better. There was like a determination to get the ball forward. More or less, every player, every time they got on the ball, if they didn't pass the ball forward, they were looking to do so, looking for options. I, I guess I was more engaged with it because it felt like the players were more engaged with it. There was no kind of you know. There was no hiding. There was no sitting back. You know, it was just a much better game to watch. And look, for good and for bad, you shouldn't get too carried away about preseason friendlies, obviously. But I would say there was more to be encouraged by than disheartened by, despite the fact they but, lost. But just hearing you, a lifelong Spurs fan, 
with the words engage and the players engaged and trying to get the ball forward. I mean, the opening notes of Handel's Hallelujah Chorus. Literally, the fireworks are going off in my head because these are words that would have been impossible to articulate under the last three managers because it just wasn't that kind of football. Um, of course, we, these days we have a Twitter feed and it's at uh, VFTL Podcast, at VFTL Podcast. And there, uh, listener Jacob Crick gave us his thoughts on defeat and said, finally, football I'd pay to watch. Hallelujah Chorus goes off in Kelly Head. Uh, great stuff, first half, total domination, second half. Proof if proof be needed, we need to buy two centre-backs. Old news, but proof positive. Still can't defend aerially. Result irrelevant, lose all pre-season friends that play at this and we're going to have a fun season. Oh, Jacob, if it was possible for me to go down this expensive microphone along whatever cables and fibre are joining me to you at this present moment and kiss you on the forehead, not to nothing too intimate, then I would do it. Charlie, you've been out there on the training field, um, around the camp, and one hesitates to use the phrase mood in the camp. Um, any noticeable difference? Because, of course, they were always... They're all for the managers until they go. Mm. Um, what, what's the mood in the camp been? I've, I've, I've retreated to it now. Yeah, I mean, I'm always wary because this time last year, when I spoke to you from Korea, we were talking about how Conte was working the players so hard or wasn't it brilliant and, you know, he's such a hard task. Vomiting, yeah. Spurs were going to come third and weren't they having a great transfer window? Um, apart from James Moore. Um, yeah. But the, having said all that, the mood is very positive and the players have been really impressed with him. They're enjoying his training, which is shorter and sharper and more varied. Uh, it's pretty relentless. This thing I've talked about before of kind of like the murder ball idea, I guess, Bielsa's thing of ball goes dead, another one's chucked straight in. So it is really, really intense. Um, and I think he feels as well the players have taken to it well and they're getting used to it. So it is all very positive. But... I also totally understand if the more cynical listeners are mm. saying, but you said this about the last manager and in a few months the players will be moaning that they weren't being worked too hard. All I can say is right now, uh, yeah, it, it, it does feel, the mood does feel very good. And we've had, James, the first few press conferences. Um, I don't want to lead the witness here. It's very hard to say anything much in these press conferences, particularly with, and we'll get onto it, the situation hanging over Harry Kane because that's all people want to talk to him about. Um, but equally, I, and I'll take your, your view on this immediately, I have been quietly impressed by his slightly threatening uncle act. <laughs> and I mean, if, if anything is going to keep Harry Kane at Spurs for the next 12 months, it's the threat, guess, is it? It is, it is potential <laughs> that, that, yeah, the physical threat of this massive guy. Uh, yeah, I've been really impressed. Plus actually. Yedinak. Yeah, and Yedinak, has Yedinak, 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 hasn't he? Not, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I've been really impressed, and it's kind of been what we expected, I think, from from Postacoglu. Uh, he's clearly a very good speaker. Obviously, he has the advantage of English being his first language, which the last, mm-hmm. however many Tottenham managers, four, I guess, five, if you want to make a cruel joke about Harry Redknapp, um, haven't had, which does... Uh, in press conferences, a huge advantage. Right, the yeah. nuance is clear, isn't because it? Because these sharks like Charlie Eccleshare will be sat there waiting to pounce and manipulate everything that's said and trying to interpret things in, in, a, in a strange oh, way. I, I saw Charlie doing Still his can. work at Wimbledon, and once or twice he was so near to pouncing that he knocked his strawberries over. <laughs> I mean, there was there was danger to the pims. Um, such was his pouncing. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that. 
says the man once banned from Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, look, I, that's all forgotten now. Everyone's forgotten about that. <laughs> you know, you're pit, your mugshot's still up outside. <laughs> I dare say, I dare say. Wanted, but not much. <laughs> what, what was the game? Anne went to Wimbledon. I, I missed this. I, I saw it mentioned in like an interview in the last couple of days, but I didn't realise he actually, I knew, I knew he went to whichever test it was. Yeah, he, he was there. as well. Yeah, but it, it wasn't picked up at the time, I don't think, that Postacoglu was there. Um, it was then referenced in a question he was asked by one of the Australian journalists out here that he'd, uh, it was quite a good response. He was asked about how you've been at Lords at Wimbledon. Nice introduction. He was like, yeah, I've been doing some work as well, uh, which was quite a uh, him kind of response. He is good. I mean, he's disarmingly funny. Like that does really help him in press conference. I mean, we've probably spoken about it on cliches before, how it's an incredibly low bar to get a laugh at a press conference. It's about the level of like a best man speech, but he is genuinely quite amusing with some of his quips. Charlie, can you give us a taste of your press conference laugh? Because I'm sure you must have like a sort of fake. Oh yeah, it's horrible. Laugh. The, the, the worst is listening back to interviews on my recorder and it's just this horrible sort of... <laughs> Re- sounds really <laughs> affected, rubbish, insincere laugh. I hate listening back to recordings, mainly for that reason. So I imagine my press well, laugh can, is similar. Can, can I task you with after the next press conference, wherever can you can you make sure that you have the recording with you so we can hear it in, in its yeah. all its glory oh, here can on the podcast? Can we get every press conference from the last like three years and do a super and make a brilliant, make a glass. brilliant, yeah, <laughs> good one, Antonio. I mean, I should make the point that we'll be back twice a week. Um, very, very soon, I think uh, towards the end of this month, we'll start back into our regular process here on The View From Lane. I know you've missed us during the summer, but other people needed a rest. Charlie had to go and do other things. Um, so some new, all the, all the new signings started, I think I'm right in saying. And I'm going to throw this over to you, James, because it turned out you were the transfer expert last season. Yeah. Now, look, I saw this morning Spurs close in on sixth signing, and it was Clement Langley. And oh. you, could, you could hear the air coming out of my tyres um, as I read it. So we're counting Kuliseski and Porro. Uh, I know this money has been spent, but I suspect it's been spent over a period of years. Clement Longley, we'll talk about it later, but there are three new signings so far. Um, James Madison, Mana Solomon, um, and Vicario. Um, so far, given that you were right last year about the, pod, about the, 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 the signings, what's your feeling about the way we've been going about stuff in transfer window? I, I was very enthusiastic and encouraged by the way things started, kind of in that last bit of June through right into early July when, you know, we saw Harry Winks, who's a player I like and a guy I respect, yes. uh, sold for a decent fee, win all round, potentially that. Vicario, I didn't know much about before. I've seen, you know, all, all these say compilations that people have put up on social media in the last month or so. There's a couple of iffy moments in the game today. We, let, let's not go into that now, but... Sort extra of points, for extra points for, the, for his nickname Venom. Yeah, mm. yep, yeah, definitely. I like I like the first film very much. So extra points for that. One very good save down low in the first half of the game today. Uh, Madison, brilliant, very excited. Like he has, he's a very special player. I'm sure you'll agree with this, Danny. I, I kind of put to one side my sense that he is kind of like a, a Gen Z David Bentley kind of character. There are sort of parallels there, but I think he is very well suited to this team. And I think he has a kind of personality and skill set that's been missing from Spurs for a few years. And Charlie wrote a few weeks ago, he's both a bit Deli Alley, a bit Christian Eriksen, 
Spurs have really struggled to replace both of those two players. And if he can go some way to replacing a bit of each or one of them, more or less entirely, then we'll be laughing. With all due respect to the old water chucker, he's a better player than David Bentley. And that's the bottom line. He does have, you're absolutely right to make some comparisons. David had moments of brilliance. Madison's a much more consistently decent player. Yeah. Um, and I think Spurs, in many ways, I think Spurs are very lucky to get him. Um, I'm mm. surprised there wasn't more people in for him. Yeah, I do I, think I, circumstances probably worked in their favour. But I, I don't think, I, I mean, Newcastle were obviously interested, but I don't, you know, had Liverpool, Manchester United decided they wanted him. I think it probably would have been quite difficult for Spurs to get him. But, um, very good. So very excited to see how that goes. And Solomon, I think Jack actually, Jack Pitbrook first reported that two months ago, maybe on the Athletic, and I was a bit unsure about it then. Uh, there was, it, it kind of felt, you know, like a sort of bargain basement deal they were doing for the sake of it, and I kind of feel like they've done that a few times before. Uh, and obviously, without, there's without a great kind success, of yeah. slightly iffy thing about the way that's gone about. I know Spurs haven't broken any rules, and just you know, if they didn't sign him, someone else would. And they're playing this game against Shakhtar, and you sort of hope things are all resolved and fine. Now they've signed Madison as well. I kind of look at it quite differently, and it feels like he's a very, very good squad player. Like if you think if he's replacing effectively Lucas in terms Mora. of minutes, yeah, Mora and or um, Dan Juma. Thank you, David. That's show business, right? <laughs> if he's replacing those two in terms of minutes and contribution, then I think uh, we'll be on to a good thing. And he, he looks pretty lively in the game. I, I, I know a lot of people have said this. I had no idea he was as small as he actually is. He's about five or seven. He, he's, he's not Jose Dominguez. Dominguez. But, yeah. You'll be a, but you you will, uh, you know, if you're if you're in a, in a, in a very big stadium, let's say he's playing at West Ham, you will need the newly refurbished Hubble Space Telescope to see him, won't you? You know, we're not expecting him to to head the crosses in. Um, as provided he's not just a cheap alternative to Harvey Barnes, um, then, you know, provided they think he can br- bring as much as Harvey might have brought if they'd gone for the, the double whammy with Leicester, um, then, I, then I'm perfectly happy Barnes, with, with him. Harvey Barnes is older than I thought. He's like 25. And yeah. Solomon's, I think, 22, 23. I mean, I'm sure, not suggesting they should be signing yeah. players just on the basis yeah. of age, but maybe he's got a higher ceiling. You know, he's played in the Champions League. He didn't play loads for Fulham, mainly because of an injury he had in the first half of the season. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it feels like given the fee, I nothing. Yeah, no, no. And if it, if it, if it was judged, if you were judging on his performances for Fulham, you might say, you know, he's got flashes of brilliance. If you're judging on his performances in the Champions League, he's been absolutely brilliant. The worst case scenario with that is almost he's kind of you know a sort of Nico Cranchar type figure for eighteen months, has a few flashes of brilliance, good moments, scores a few goals here and there, can never really quite get in the team, and then is sold in eighteen months, two years for. 15 20 million or whatever and you know we go again yeah although you know we i think spurs buying players who don't quite make an impact has been one of the biggest problems uh of the last you know since the infamous champions league final after which from which we're all moving on and so i, I hope i hope he has more impact than that uh, i mean there's a fourth signing in a way isn't there even more strangely than Players were, were paying off their loan spells, um, and that's Destiny Adogi. Now, I mean, first of all, let's agree on how we're going to pronounce his surname. Charlie, you're usually the best at the, at the linguistics. So how are we pronouncing this kid's surname? It's Udogi. Uh, we asked it. We asked him when we spoke to him yesterday, and I think you're going to hear some of the audio from that interview. 
Well, I can't imagine a more seamless introduction than that. Here is, <laughs> here is the press pack led by Charlie Eccleshare talking to Destiny Udoggy. was always football, just football. I started playing at four years old. I, I was playing for one small team in my city. And at 10 years old, I went to Verona, Elas Verona. Mm-hmm. I played like for 10 years. And after I joined Udinese. And yeah, it was just always my dream to play professional. At the beginning, I think my mom, my mom find out this passion for football because uh, when I was a baby, I was kicking everything I saw on the house. So, <laughs> and uh, obviously after all my family was behind me, my father, my father pushed me a lot. So everybody, my father, my brother, my sister, my mom, all of them. And am I right? Did you speak English at home? It was my first language, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah English. Left back, I like to, to attack, you know, to overlap the winger, cut inside, come inside driving the ball, different things. Uh, was it for the players you looked at, you studied, or liked? Oh, uh, I have to say I like Marcelo. I used to watch Marcelo a lot. Marcelo, Alexandro, and yeah, I loved the way he played football. Was like so clean, you know. I love his technique, the style, everything, everything. Yeah, really. And how, how does Ange compare to managers you've had previously? Oh, uh, he's a, he's a I like his idea of football, like you want to play football with the ball, you want to have the ball, so it's not like I defend and I counter-attack. I want to have the ball, you know, so it's different. Mm. Which players have kind of helped you out since you've arrived at Tottenham? Guillermo said he called you his little brother. Yeah, <laughs> I'm lucky there's an Italian guy with me, yeah. so it's very important. But I have to say, all the team, they're, they're really good guys, you know, so almost everybody from Age, Oiberg, uh, a lot of them, Dyer. Very good guys. Can you tell us about Vicario? Did you play against him much? I played against him uh, two times, yeah, two times. One this year and one last year. So, yeah, he's a good, very good keeper. <laughs> tough, tough. You didn't score against him? No, never. <laughs> luck is lucky. Yeah. <laughs> what did you make of the team last season? Yeah, it was, I think Premier League is a difficult league, so every year it just, it turns. So I, but the team was good. Just maybe not, uh, it was not lucky with the season. The big league is a very challenging league, and uh, I'm I'm ready. I feel I feel you know I have confidence. I feel I feel ready. We're a very good team. I feel like this season is going to be a good season for us, and uh, we're going to play football, good football. It won't be boring. Nah. nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> And there he is, and I thought he was um, uh, Mr. Udoggi. I thought he was fantastic last season uh, in Italy, um, playing in a different position that he's probably going to be asked to play here. I want to get your thoughts then. Uh, Spurs have got now a vast collection of differently talented, shall we say, fullbacks, wingbacks, halfbacks, all kinds of um, wide backs. Um, and, of course, we noticed that they are still... Um, sort of kicking the shins of at least one club in Turkey for yet another right back. Um, when I checked with the great Andy Brassell, tells me we'll be in the French side in the next 18 months. Um, that's Boyer, I think is how we pronounce the fellow's name. Um, what do we think about the the hierarchy, James, of the fullbacks? I mean, who do you think is going to start? I mean, I've got very strong views on this, but um, I'd like to hear yours because they have got a whole lot. Let's assume it's back four, because it will be. 
Um, and who, who are going to be the fullbacks? It's really difficult to know uh, because as much as we have a sense that Postacoglu wants his fullbacks to fly forward and kind of come inside, I, I'm not entirely convinced that's going to be entirely sensible from the get-go while he's kind of feeling his way into the Premier League. And so will some of those players be too. Uh, so I wouldn't be necessarily entirely surprised if he went for a slightly more conservative, uh, let, let's say Udogi, and they said Udogi, then I'm going to do that a lot. Uh, like, like Udogi and uh, Emerson Royale, Royale early on, just to kind of give a bit of balance. But yeah, I mean, the the, the, the prospect of Pedro Porro and Udogi flying forward but that's, in unison. You know, uh, I mean, it is a fantastic prospect, but I, like you, don't believe it's going to happen. And Charlie, I'll say this thing and you can shoot it down. My suspicion is, and I want them to be very attacking, that the, the prospect of Poro and Udogi, I don't think it'll be that. I think it'll be Udogi and Emerson Royal, because then Royal can become part of a, of a back three when he goes bombing forward. Or it'll be Poro, and here we go. Uh, sorry, everybody who didn't like the last five, six years at Spurs. Davis will play left back and become a third centre-back when they need. Who knows where, where we're going with that? Could 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 he, dare he, um, rely on one of the central midfielders to become a back three when they when they all bomb forward and have both of them up the pitch? Well, that was what Basuma was doing a lot of today. But yeah, I, I do think it would be very bold to play two such attacking, essentially wing-backs uh, as full-backs in that back four. I mean, it's interesting, looking at how many left-backs they have, very few of them would you say they're, that left-back is necessarily their best position. I mean, Davis is ideally a left-centre-back. Udogi's a left-wing-back. Perisic is a left-wing-back. Sessegnon's probably more of a wing-back. Regulon, maybe, you could make the case, is more of a full-back than a wing-back. Oh, just he's, go he's on the names, the stockpiling. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? It looks like Sessegnon, and everyone hates to say this, is going to be... Um, you know better than me. Is it, how bad is this, this, this latest injury? Well... The, the hope is that this operation will sort out a long-standing problem and the operation supposedly went very well. It's really hard to say because he's had so many setbacks. So hope really is the operative word. It does mean that he's unlikely to get transferred, um, if that was the plan. Well, he needs the, he needs the rhythm of game session on. I think it, that feels more true of him than anyone else that's kind of struggled for being in and out of the team. Like, he just hasn't had that since he was at Fulham, for one reason or another. And obviously, he's had a lot of injuries. Uh, and, and I just think he'd benefit from just going somewhere else and playing. Sure. Uh, ideally, he finds a Premier League loan at a club where he'll play every game for a season and then you can assess it. But I think the most likely thing is a transfer. But as you say, clearly that mm -hmm. presumably... What about Reguilón? Do, do you think he'll he'll be gone by the end of this transfer window? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, he had a pretty difficult evening tonight. Um, I mean, it was kind of classic him. He was pretty good going forward and he tried to invert... But he was he was really vulnerable defensively. I mean, in the first half, Spurs kept creating chances, but then West Ham would just give the ball to Jared Bowen, and then <laughs> they would seemingly be at, be in at goals. So, uh, yeah, I'd be surprised if he was still there. I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I know he's kind of relatively nimble with the ball at his feet, but he doesn't strike me as the kind of player who's going to be able to offer much if he comes inside with the ball going forward. Do you know? What I mean? know what you mean. Like he's good. It's good going outside because he's so quick, but driving through the middle with players around I just don't really see that's going to bring much joy it might be a little bit one of those where look this is what I need you to do and then it becomes quite clear you can't do it and we move you on I I, I don't see him as a long term proposition there no okay 
Um, well, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting parts of the continued build-up to the new season. And of course, you know, who who starts at injuries, um, notwithstanding who starts at fullback um, at Brentford in a, in a few weeks' time will be one of the first big takes. I mean, for, who starts a centre-back as well? But then we may have a different load of personnel to choose from. Um, I see again, even as I speak, um, that uh, Nielsen um, and Davidson Sanchez look like they're going to be somehow swapped. We'll see what happens. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All of which takes us to another important starter uh, for Tottenham Hotspur. And let's be fair, even if we were doing this, I don't know what the biggest room in the world is. It probably is some church somewhere, isn't it? Maybe even St. Peter's in the Vatican. Even if we were doing it in the biggest room in the world, and someone will, will help me with some aircraft hangar or something, the elephant of Harry Kane would be filling every single cubic centimetre of that room. For me, and I'll say it, Everything we talk about here is irrelevant almost until the Harry Kane thing is sorted out. And by sorted out, it means that he stays because I cannot truthfully, in my mind, find a single scenario or combination of scenarios where it makes sense to sell him. People say, oh, you're going to lose 80 million quid next season. Five English clubs qualify for the Champions League. Why shouldn't the Spurs be one of those? They won't do it without Kane, I suspect. And then your 80 million is is meaningless. You've got the money back in one go. If I may be so bold to go on about this here, I'm happy to take your your, your views on it then. In the difficult times Spurs have had over the past two and a half, three years, with your whether you're wearing a Spurs shirt, a Spurs baseball hat, or just have them tattooed on your heart, you've got to have something to hold on to with these football clubs. 
before they just become meaningless business institutions. And Harry Kane has been that thing for Spurs for the past two and a half, three years. Before that, he was a great player. Now he's become something more to me. He's become the thing about Spurs that whenever anyone starts up how useless they are, how Levy this, how business that, how trophies the other, you can just sit there with Harry Kane in your top pocket and they can talk until they go blue in the face. You're still a Spurs fan and they still got Harry Kane. No player is bigger than the club. I'm not so sure in this case at this, present, at this moment in time. And thirdly, of course, for the benefit of regular listeners to The View from the Lane, if he goes, I think it makes it the prospect all the more remote of him actually shagging me. Um, and I, you know, and these things are important. And of course, if Daniel Levy wants to see what life would be like after he lets Harry Kane go, he's only got to look across that negotiating table to Bayern Munich, who had a shambles of a season last year, came within one ridiculous performance by Dortmund against Mainz of losing their title because they sold their irreplaceable centre forward. It's not It's not rocket science. However, I'm not in charge of the club, Charlie. What You've, you've actually written a piece about all the current moving parts, which are complex. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because with any deal like this, every team, uh, every sort of um, participant in the transfer have hands of varying degrees of strength. I think Kane actually has a really strong hand now because... There isn't really an awful scenario for him. The worst case scenario would be, let's say, let's assume if he does want to go, the worst case is, well, he stays for one more year. And even if he does that, he might have a fun season under Foster Coglu. And at the end of it, he will have his pick of clubs and probably a more lucrative offer, offers. Whereas for Bayern Munich, they really need to get in this summer because I just don't think by next year when he has his choice of whoever he wants, um, they'll necessarily be the front runners. And obviously Spurs have the terrible scenario of losing him on a free next summer. And the sense is, from people in the game, that that is not something they're countenancing. Losing him on a free next summer is really, really something they're not thinking about, which means basically they need to tie him to a new contract or they need to sell him for a good price. A few weeks ago, I just kept thinking, this is just like 2021. It's it's that all over again. You can convince Kane as much as you want, but ultimately, unless you convince Spurs, it's not going to happen. Now, I don't know. Now I'm more 50-50 on it. Um, it feels like there is a pathway to this happening just because, unlike in 2021, there is a really dire prospect facing Tottenham if they don't sell this summer, and that is losing him on a free next year. Um, which, although you and many others, Danny, would think, well, you've just got to do that to keep him for that extra year, and you might pay that off with Champions League qualification... Uh, I'm just not convinced that's that's the Spurs position. I've got something to say about that, but I really want to hear from James. What's your feeling, James? I mean, again, you're not an insider, um, you're not an in the know, but you're you know you're a, a smart fellow who holds down a massive media empire beneath your fingertips. Um, what's your feeling? I know most of the stuff Charlie knows. Yeah, that's because he's on the phone to you from Wimbledon day and night, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I'm actually pretty sanguine about it now. I, I genuinely quite. Um, I'm quite kind of relaxed, I, you know, I, and look, it, either he's going to go for big money and he's not going to go for whatever it was, that first stupid offer of 60 million euros, which obviously we didn't talk about at the time because we didn't do a podcast, but it's a ludicrous bid, completely pointless. Uh, 
you know, if it's going to leave, it's going to be for someone area what uh, towards 100 million pounds, you would say. We'll start 110 million euros, maybe. And then obviously there has to be an expectation that that money is invested in the team and and then some as well. They can't like they can't sell Harry Kane and then use that money to replace Harry Kane and sign two centre halves. They need to use the bulk of that money to buy a, a proper forward and then spend some more money to continue strengthening the team. I think I think it would be a mistake to try and repeat the trick of 2013 and trying to completely rebuild the team with the money from one player. I just I, I think it. You, you know, if we're talking about a record fee like 150, 160 million quid, moving towards 200 million. I mean, how much was Neymar? 150, yeah. 200 million euros, isn't he? Neymar? Yeah, 200 million euros. Okay, fine. So we'll it's 180, 180 yeah. or whatever. Maybe it's doable, but with this sum of money, this kind of sum of money, realistic that you can expect, it's just, it's just not going to happen. But they're going to have to put their hand in their pocket. And I know people listening to this will be thinking, well, they won't. I'm telling you, they have to. Either we, either we're going to get a, a big transfer fee. And we can hope that the team is going to be rebuilt. And I, I, this is the best time for it to happen, I think, of any summer in the last four or five years. And as crucial as he was to Spurs last season, that was a complete shambles. He was he was the best player. He was carrying a shambles of the team. And, and I'm not basing this on what we've seen in this game today. I'm basing on the fact that we know that there's been a bit more thought put into the way the team has been put together now. And there is more of a sense of direction maybe already than there was before. James, I hear what you're saying and, and your sanguinity brings, if that's the right, if that's the word, I'll have to check with Charlie, um, brings brings some comfort to me, but, but there's a but, isn't there? And it is this, that somewhere in the past two years, centre forward has replaced goalkeeping as the most specialised position on the pitch. There is no, there is, partially because of the way the game is played now and partially, because of other things that we've discussed before on the podcast, a person who can play centre forward is now rarer than getting someone who can play in goal and somebody can play in goal with their feet. People have specialist centre forward coaches these days because it's such an unusual position that someone can play it properly. The problem is no matter how much money you get for him, you cannot replace like with like. And there are, you know, Lewandowski's what, what the age is and he's at Barcelona. Aussie men... Um, would be prohibitively expensive because of his age and has already said that he wouldn't go to a club that's not in the Champions League. They can't replace what they've got and getting that kind of DNA into a football club is a hugely important part of what they do these days. Letting it go out of the club is bonkers, in my opinion. How he got himself in this position, I just don't understand. The problem is, with James, your, your scenario makes perfect sense until you start putting names in the redacted boxes, there's just no one. Just, just, just to be clear, I'm kind of sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Like, I, it's not no, no. I want to happen, but I'm saying it's a reality that I'm not uh, completely terrified of. And, and I kind of feel like you might have addressed your own point a little bit there, because the reality is very few teams play with. Uh, and I mean, look, I know the obvious get out is he's a centre forward and a number ten, but very few teams play with a, a big striker who holds the ball up now, right? it's kind of a combination of false false nines and you want your goals to come from wide forwards and you know, Son is probably the more archetypal modern forward. Or Richarlison. Not saying players. it should be him, or but stylistically, either. and he he plays that role for Brazil. Yeah. I, I, so I don't think if, if... When I say replace Kane, I don't necessarily mean with a player who plays in the same uh, role in the team. 
but with quality in attack one to replace the goals and two to replace the creativity. And realistically, that probably will be two players. But I'm not. I'm what I'm saying is I don't think they should be going out and spending. 110 million pounds between now and the end of the window on a centre back and midfielder and a forward. Like I think if they if they need to sign big money on they need to spend big money on attacking players if Kane goes. Well, I, I think last season showed you know that the, the, you know, we scored a lot of goals. Spurs, a lot of them scored by Kane. The defence was terrible. How lucky are Spurs? That is the part of the team that's fixable. Normally, if you can't score, that's what sends you down. And I had a, I have a nightmare that Kane will go, they will fizzle the money, as you say, on a variety of players, and Spurs will be left with a team in which James Madison is the best footballer. And we know what happens to teams where James Madison is the best footballer. Won the FA Cup. What was the point where you started to feel that it wasn't right? Like one morning I woke up, I had to go training. This is when he'd stopped playing me. I remember just looking in the mirror. <laughs> I mean, it sounds dramatic, but I was literally staring in the mirror and I was asking if I could retire now at 24, you know, doing the thing I love. For me, that was heartbreaking. I really just wanted to talk um, about Deli Alley. Um, in his time, a player who was magnificent for Spurs in an unusual position, in a a very, very important part of, of a, a really good team. At one time, rated as a £100 million footballer whose career we have watched fizzle out over the past three years. Um, I want to say congratulations to Gary Neville because because he's an ex-player, there's a tendency to pretend that he's, that, you know, the journalism comes easy to him and he's just his mates. Um, some of the things he's done, some of them entertaining, some of them serious over the past few years have been fantastic. But this the Deli Alley interview... First, you've got to get someone who trusts you to do it. Then you've got to do it with sensitivity and directness. I thought it was an amazing piece of work and well done to him. And of course, to Deli Ali for having the chutzpah. Um, and it, you could tell it was crippling him. Um, presumably, he's had enough therapy now that so you, if you can get this out in some way in public, um, it'll do you good. But James, and all of us at various times have sort of shook our heads and waved our arms about, about this fella. Um, but we weren't to know what he was going through. And it's it now so everything seems so much clearer, doesn't it? Um yeah. I, I mean I think I think most people that followed his career and knew about him as a person probably had a sense that his childhood had been difficult. I think that was kind of maybe not quite well documented, but certainly sort of known by people that had that degree of interest. I mean, look, I've, I've interviewed Deli Ali a couple of times earlier in his career and mine. Um, yeah. And it was kind of obvious that there were things in his childhood that were just like a complete no-go that he wouldn't talk about. Uh, and so it was kind of obvious uh, that there had been issues, but I had no sense of like the scale of that. It's, it's, it, it, it's really hard to place... The success that this guy has had, and I mean, forget all of the crappy Twitter accounts saying he's career, you know, he's the worst ever career drop off in the history of the game or whatever. Like the success he's had in his career, Champions League final, World Cup semi final, PFA Young Player of the Year, whatever else, you know, I had more goals as a teenager than Gerard and whatever. You know, it's it's incredible in and of itself, but you factor in like the first. 
12 years of the story. And it's, it is a miracle that he's achieved what he did. Like, forget the quote-unquote drop-off. You know, forget any suggestion he's thrown it all away. He, he has done unbelievably, unbelievably well to get what he had. And, like, that is the biggest testament to him as a person, I think, the fact that he was able to not only do what he's done in the last week, but, like, had the strength to achieve so much. And, that like, that is the reality. That puts him in the top, what percentage? One less than that of the percentage of footballers in terms of achievement. It's just insanely tiny. Um no point, no, no, no. no. It's interesting. Sorry, I'm listening very carefully to what you're saying um, and the care with which you're saying it. But it's clear now that the focus is not and should not be on the drop-off from that high point uh, in his career at 18-19, but on how he got to there the first half of his life rather than the, the, the life since that high point. Yeah, but, but, also, leads us in a- but also the way that we, the way that we talk about footballers and the assumptions we make about people and you know if we're three months into the season player x is having an absolute stinker and you, and charlie probably wouldn't do this but you and i would be on here saying oh he's not good enough his attitude's not right yada 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 like we have no sense and I actually think to be fair on this podcast generally we're pretty good at being aware of those kind of human issues and i think we've kind of we oh, tried, we we, we, we tried to yeah, be yeah, fair yeah, with Antonio, yeah, yeah, yeah. didn't we? We tried to be fair. I think we probably felt we, we clawed it back a few times, but I think we maybe, we, you know, in the context of the season he had away from football, I think we were probably reflecting that and say we we did go a bit over the top on some of the things we were saying. It was not to say not to say that we were wrong that he should have left the club and it didn't work, but you know, some of the criticism maybe was over the top. But I just, I, I, the, the point is, we just don't know what's going on behind closed doors at any point in anyone's life. Yeah. And it's fine to say player A is playing better than player B or is better suited to this team, so it should be in the team. You know, player A should be dropped because they're not playing well. But I, I think it's important to not hammer people. And you know, some of the stuff on social media, I mean, uh, sorry, it makes it sound, self sound very old when you say these things. But when, you know, like uh, Spurs put out a documentary about Eric Dyer two weeks ago on their Spurs play platform that we said we were going to slate on the podcast and we haven't bothered. And and below, but you know, and this is a guy who's played for Tottenham for nine years, and, you know, like Deli Alley, played in the World Cup semi-final, played in the Champions League final, been a part of a team that's achieved a lot, even if he hasn't won a trophy, been a big part of a, of a team that everyone has loved watching and feeling a part of. And below this tweet, of <laughs> this documentary, which yes, maybe feels badly timed, just endless tweets from saying, you know, get him out of our club. I hate this bloke. Terrible bloke. Get rid of him. You know, and they're saying much worse things than this, obviously. I just can't c- comprehend. And I can't, I don't know if he was tagged in the tweet. I don't even know if he's on Twitter anymore. But I just can't, like, the mentality of going after people. And, and this isn't to say that I think Eric Dyer does or doesn't have anything going on at home. But it's, I mean, how, do, how can that possibly feel? But this is what infuriates me when people... <sighs> how hard it is to make it as a professional footballer, let alone if you're Deli Alley when it's miraculous. But it's the only place where there's any social mobility in this country for a start. It's all, as close to a genuine meritocracy as anything in this country. To make it as a footballer, the sacrifice you have to make, how hard you have to work is like mind-blowing because the odds are so monumentally stacked against you. You can criticise players making mistakes. What I hate is when people suggest that they don't try or they don't care or they don't want it. They wouldn't be close to being a professional footballer. 
if they didn't care immensely and work incredibly hard. And yeah, there might be a minuscule difference between some players' desire compared to others, of course, but we're still talking about an incredible level of effort and desire. And it's just so this entitlement that social media has given people and it's given people a big platform in a lot of cases and people are incredibly irresponsible with how they use it. And obviously these platforms reward it taking extreme views. So you're going to get, your tweets are going to get seen by way more people if you say Deli Ali's a disgrace, he doesn't care, what is he doing, what waste of talent, than if you try and give any sort of balance. And what I think is just really sad, and I, re- and I thought it was an incredible interview, really moving, heartbreaking to watch. Um, just just so, so sad. I mean, firstly, I hope he he really is in a good place. And I think anyone who's been through therapy or anything like what Daddy's going through will know it's a, it's a really gradual, long process. I think if anyone thinks, having watched that, that, oh, Daddy's fine now, he's, he's been in rehab, then I'm sorry to say you're probably being naive. It's a journey and we just hope that he will continue to get better. And, you know, I think that's what everyone wants. But what I just really hope is that some lessons are learned because so often we say with one hand, you know, we use buzzwords like, we, yeah, we care about mental health. And then in the next breath, we're hammering someone for whatever it is. And, you know, we're not making that connection. And I just hope that with Deli Ali, next time there is a player who appears to have a drop-off. Like, do people like rationally think that these things happen in isolation that you know someone like Deli Ali can go from where he was as a footballer to then where he was that that just happens because he can't be asked anymore or you know he's a he's a bad kid as if there's anything that binary and he talked about it in in the the interview how his he's been told in rehab not to use words like that and that's a massive thing even in parenting you know you're always encouraged not to use those sort of terms because they're not helpful but you know, clearly there was something going on there. And, you know, this was something we tried to look at and did look at a few years ago with Delhi, that backstory, because you just can't understand him at all without knowing it. And obviously we didn't know at that point quite the extent of it because he was making revelations uh, to Gary Neville that he, that no one knew. But, you know, just be, (laughs) just try, you know, try and understand at least before, you hammer these people. And yeah, look, like you say, of course you you have every right to say, I think that X player needs to defend better or I think Y player has concentration lapses or whatever it is. But it's just these personal attacks where people's professionalism is questioned that I just think is so tiresome and just done in bad faith. It is bad faith. And you reminded me as well. Um, the, the You're right. Um, social mobility, which is a kind of touchstone in democracies, but actually much harder to achieve than it is to to talk about. Um, and it's one of the things that really has broken my heart about the Deli Alley thing is that, you know, watching these kids who are good at football, they're nearly 90% of them, 95% are working class kids. Watching people from their own background slaughter them um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a country where we've seen an elite virtually take the running of the country over in the past few years. Talk about distraction. Talk about lack of priority. Um, thank you both for those words about Delhi Alley. I mean, I wish we were all paid. All three of us are paid to use the language 
um, as best we can. But it was almost impossible to convey some of the things you felt about that. And can I just say as well, Danny? Sorry, just just on that. Like, let's let we've spoken about unconscious biases with Davinson Sanchez before. Let's not pretend there weren't some unconscious biases at work here that, for certain people, found the you know found the idea of Delhi you know words like flashy and things like that. You know, let's not pretend that his race and his background and his upbringing doesn't come into it. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. Um, you can add you can add uh, racism, unconscious and otherwise, uh, to a bias against working class people as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I want to end this and main deal in in, in the podcast saying it has occurred to me, and I hope it's occurred to somebody else, um, that there's something Spurs can do for Delhi Ali other than the very sympathetic social media things they put out, and that is this: they could tear up the contract they have with Everton. Because if he plays nine more games for Everton, I think that's the figure, they will owe Spurs 10 million quid. So his path back to football rehabilitation, not as important as his recovery as a human being, but maybe a very important part of that recovery, is slightly blighted now by the club that currently has him under contract, not being entirely free to play him as they would want because they've got an economic responsibility to another club. While I'm preaching that Spurs can afford to throw in the 90 million quid for Harry Kane, I certainly think they can afford to ring Everton up and say, all right, we'll forget about that. Try and get this boy back to playing as best we can. Actually, with being cynical, if I'm being cynical about it, for 10 million pounds, Daniel Levy and Spurs would get the greatest piece of PR any football club has ever had. Struck me as just one more tiny thing that somebody somewhere could do to help this lad after he has been brave enough to expose to us um, something that most of us wouldn't want necessarily made public. Um, thank you both for your, for your words there. I thought I thought it were very well put together. I want to apologise to Darren Danes and to Tom Smith, both of whom took the time to send us very good questions on Twitter, questions for which we've not had time. I promised Darren and I promised Tom that when we get back in a couple of weeks' time to the normal podcast, that they will get priority treatment. You are now behind a velvet rope. Um, in the waiting area, and your tweets will be given special priority. I want to thank James, and I want to thank uh, Charlie. Uh, you know, we've ended on a very, very bleak, but important note there. That's what these things are for. It can't all be hail fellow, well met, and weren't we brilliant playing with four up front. Um, thank you both very much for your time. Thank you all for listening. Let me remind you that the show has its own official home on Twitter now. It's at VFTL Podcast, at VFTL Podcast. Now that Charlie's, when Charlie gets back from his world tour, um, when we get uh, other members of the crew back in place after their um, summer holidays and things, that will be a much more active Twitter feed. We'll be having arguments. We'll be doing the podcast in miniature on there. So try and uh, join us there at VFTL Podcast. We're back to our usual scheduled programming twice a week from the first week of August, available wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. Sign up and make the most of our summer deal right now. That's just £1 or $1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. See you again very soon. The Athletic.